Good morning, church. Don't normally get nervous when I speak, but when your son gets up here, it's like, uh. Hey, man, what a blessing it is to be together and to, to, to come together in this place today to worship Jesus. And I'm so glad that once again we can gather in this room as we think about what does it mean for us to live out Jesus' words? Um, and what does it mean for us to think about taking his words literally and loving our actual neighbors? Uh, before we dive in this morning, I want to remind you again, because we're just two weeks away from what I think is going to be an incredible day at Riverside. Uh, we're calling it Engage Sunday because it's a day where uh, we want you to come that morning and we're going to gather, but there won't be a, a sermon. Uh, you're going to be the message as we gather in this place for a brief moment to kind of get organized, but then go from this place uh, to serve our city, to serve our communities, to serve our neighbors. And we'll gather again that night to tell stories about what, is, what God has done, to share in communion, uh, to, to celebrate and song and, and eat some good food, I'm sure. It's going to be a great day, and you've probably noticed there are some opportunities that we've identified in the lobby where you can sign up to do some different things. And we would love for you to do that. But also, if you have in mind something like you know, hey, there's a, there's a family here at church, there's a single mom, there's this, this elderly couple, there's these people down the street, and they need someone to come and to help to do yard work, to clean their house, to, you know, we want to go do this. We've got an idea for that. You are, we're not trying to limit you in any way. In fact, we want to set you free uh, to find a way to serve your neighbors this day. And so if you want to, you can also just gather uh, your home group, uh, gather some of your friends and say, hey, let's do this. And uh, if you would just let us know, uh, we've got, um, we've got a, a way for you to let us know. If you'll just let Kara Dunn know, Kara is one of our members who's sort of helping us uh, lead this and organize this. And you can text her, uh, you can call her, you can send her an email and say, hey, uh, this is who I am. We've got 10 people, we're going to do this on that day. That will help us know so we, we can account for everyone and make sure we have enough of everything for everybody here. But we would love to know that and to be able to know what's going on. So, I am hoping you are as excited about this as I am. It's going to be a great day for us to go and serve our city, uh, to serve our neighbors. And I believe, I really think this is true. I was looking around the room this morning as we're singing, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I, I am singing your song. Like, this is a church that is just full of good neighbors. Um, I can look around the room and very quickly identify several stories that I already know of how you guys love and serve each other, of how so many of you are serving your neighbors. And I'm so thankful that we have a church, that that is the heartbeat of this church. And this is a day for us just to express that. Um, I know so many Sundays we drive in and we pass by needs. This is a Sunday where we're, we're going to come in, but then we're going to go and go meet those needs. And I'm glad that we can, as a church, do that on this day. It's going to be an incredible day. So be praying about that. Be thinking about that. Here's the deal. Next Sunday is October 22nd. That's one week before Engage Sunday on the 29th. And that's kind of a deadline Sunday for us in terms of food, t-shirts, the whole nine yards as we prepare for this day. So if you could either sign up or send in what you're going to be doing on the 29th by next Sunday, the 22nd, so we can have all of our ducks in a row and be organized for this incredible day. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. So get excited. Be thinking about that and let us know how you're going to participate. My personal goal is huge. I want 100%. I want everybody uh, to be doing something this day to serve and to be a good neighbor to someone else. It's going to be a great day. So good neighbors. What does it mean for us to make things next door as they are in heaven? You've probably heard this quote. Uh, Robert Frost wrote a great poem, and he's famous for these, these words, where he said, Good fences make good neighbors. Have you heard that one before? When I was growing up, I don't know if you've watched this show. This may be revealing about how I grew up, but 
my family, we loved to watch this show when I was growing up as a kid. We'd get in the living room, turn on the TV, and watch this show uh, called Home Improvement uh, with Tim Allen. You know, you got Tim, the tool man, Taylor, and he was always trying to make whatever it was bigger and better and, you know, more crazy. Uh, but it always happened in every episode that Tim, the tool man, Taylor, would, would face some crisis at work or some crisis in his home with his kids, with his, with his marriage, and he would walk out into the backyard, and right on the other side of the fence was his neighbor, Wilson. Remember this guy, if you ever watched this show? And the funny thing about Wilson was you never saw his whole face, right? Like, all you ever saw was this much of Wilson in every episode, and it just got to be hysterical that that's all you ever saw. But Wilson, this neighbor on the other side of the fence, always had the best advice uh, for, for Tim the Tool Man Taylor, and was always this, this source of wise counsel. And Tim would kind of give a grunt, you know, and kind of this, yeah, yeah, you're right, and go and do whatever Wilson said. And, of course, you know, the world was a better place. I don't know at what point in our history, I was thinking about this, I don't know at what point in our history, like, fences became, became a thing, you know? Like, we started deciding that building fences was a really good idea, you know? And, and I know if your house is anything like my house, or you lived in a house like this, where you've got a, a backyard, and at some point, either you or the previous owner erected what we call a, a privacy fence, right? And just, just the name kind of makes you think, you know, that, that we want our privacy. We want to we keep other people that are nearby from seeing what we're doing back here, you know, <laughs> or keep people from seeing what we have back here. And, and, I, and I know, like, fundamentally why we build fences. You know, we build fences to, to keep certain things out, you know, as a means of, of safety. You know, we want to keep, keep things out that might come in and harm our things or harm our stuff or, or harm our people, our family, and the, those that we value and those things that we value. We also build fences to keep things in. You know, if you have kids, you want to contain them because if they get loose, you know, the neighbors will get mad. You know, or you got pets, you want to keep them contained. Or, you know, we, we build fences to keep things out. We, keep build, we build fences to keep things in. We, we want and we enjoy our privacy. And, and maybe there's good reasons for that. And maybe we've bought into this idea that, yeah, good fences make good neighbors. But I think what's worse, and you know, you know this, uh, we don't talk in these terms, but what's worse is, are, are, are the invisible fences that we build, you know? These invisible fences that we put up between us and other people. And they're unspoken, but they're real. And those fences, those invisible fences do what all fences do. They divide us. They separate us. They create a distance from us. They're between us. And if you ever approach someone who is on the other side of that invisible fence from you, then you know, and most of the time they know, to keep that space, to keep that distance, because there's an invisible fence between you for whatever reason. There's been a divide, there's been a hurt, there's a disagreement, there's a difference of opinion, and because of that difference, we've created an invisible fence that keeps us separate, that keeps us distance, that keeps that divide in place. And that's exactly what happens in this story, this one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. And my son was getting ready to read this morning with his friend Aiden. And, and he said, Dad, didn't we do this story last week? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> and, and we're doing it every week for, for these few weeks, for this series. Because sometimes there's something about dwelling in the Word of God in a specific text of God. And looking at it from different angles and, and, and coming back to it week after week that just takes us deeper into God's Word. And, and I know for some of you this may even be an idea for your own quiet time or your own family time with, with God. It's... I think at some point we got this idea in our head that we've got to, you know, get from point A to point B. We've got to read the whole thing or whatever. But, 
There's something about just reading the same thing over and over again that, that draws us deeper into the Word of God. And so this morning, I want you to, to see this again, this story from Luke 10. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up or turn those on. But, but the version I want to read from this morning is from a translation called The Voice, so it may be a little different for you. I want you to hear it in a little bit of a different language again this morning with some different words around it. The story in Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 30, but just to remind you, what just happened is that Jesus has encountered this religious expert, this scholar, self-proclaimed know-it-all, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to face and embrace the cross. But on his way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, he comes across this religious scholar that wants to trick him with a question. But it's actually a great question. The question is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to, to get to heaven? And of course, Jesus in his wisdom and his grace turns the question back to this religious expert and says, Hey, you know it all. You know the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of Moses, you know it all. You know all 633 commands, so you tell me, you summarize it, what would you say? And he pulls out two. He says, well, he says, I think it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's it. You got it. You aced the test. That is exactly it. Do that, and you will experience eternal life. But then the religious expert wants to to, to press Jesus even more. So we ask a second question we talked about last week. He says, so who is my neighbor? What he wanted was a definition. Of course, what he got was a story. And this is the story. I want us to read it again this morning from Luke 10, starting in verse 30. Jesus said, this fellow was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho when some robbers mugged him. They took his clothes, beat him to a pulp. They left him naked and bleeding in critical condition. By chance, a priest was going down the same road. And when he saw the wounded man, he crossed over to the other side and passed by. Verse 32. Then a Levite, who was on his way to assist in the temple, also came and saw the victim lying there. And he, too, kept his distance. Then a despised Samaritan journeyed by, and when he saw the fellow, he felt compassion for him. The Samaritan went over to him and stopped the bleeding, applied some first aid, put the poor fellow on his donkey. He brought the man to an inn and cared for him through the night. The next day, the Samaritan took out some money, two days' wages to be exact, and he paid the innkeeper saying, please, take care of this fellow, and if this isn't enough, I'll repay you the next time I pass through. Which of these, Jesus said, proved himself a neighbor to the man who had been mugged by the robbers? So Jesus asked this religious scholar, here's the story, you tell me, which one was the neighbor? Now, of course, you know, and I knew, know, and, and, and this guy knows the answer to the question is the Samaritan. But the problem is, the answer to the question is the very person for whom this religious expert, this Jewish man, this scholar, has put up an invisible fence between him and this entire people group, right? Like, if you're, if you're a Jew, there's a wall between you and Samaritans. If you're Samaritan, there's an invisible fence between you and the Jews. There's disagreement. There's difference of opinion. There's difference of belief. There's difference of religion. And because of that deep divide, there is a despise between these two groups. And the problem with the story that Jesus has told is that he knows this. The hero of the story is the person that he most despises. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when he asked him, hey, tell me, who was who was the neighbor? Who was the good neighbor? Did you notice that the religious scholar couldn't even say his name? He couldn't even say his nationality? His response in verse 37, the scholar said, it was the one who showed him mercy. 
That's how he described him. That guy, he's the one. It was the one who showed him mercy. That's the best I can do to answer that question. Because it makes me sick to think that you made the hero of the story, the person for whom I despise the most. And what's interesting to me is that the story itself doesn't really get interesting until you and I make it a little bit personal and think about it ourselves. Who is the person that right now in your life it's hard to love? Who is the person right now in your life, maybe there's a past hurt, maybe there's a strong disagreement, maybe there's something that's happened, maybe it was your fault, maybe it was their fault, I don't know whose fault, but because of what happened before, there was now an invisible fence between you. Maybe there's not even anything personal at all, but maybe like this guy, there is just a dislike and a disdain and a despise for that person because they belong to a people group. Maybe because of just what you think about them, because of where they came from, or the language they speak, or the color of their skin, or their politics, you just don't like them. And it's that person that Jesus says is the hero of this story. And the truth for you and me is that we will never be obedient to Jesus' command to love our neighbor until, get this, until we love them. I know it's nice, and we love the story, and we like to lean into it and do things for our literal neighbors whom we also like. But what about those neighbors that annoy us? You got one of those? What about those people that have hurt you? What about the ones who over and over again seem to completely disregard you? What about those for whom there's a dysfunction between you? And the truth is for you not to be obedient to to live out Jesus' words, to do what he said. That it's not until we love them that we find ourselves living in obedience to Jesus. And just to, I don't know, just, just turn the knife a little bit. Jesus ends the story with these words. He says, well, then you go. Did you hear what he said? Go, I love the way the voice translates this. Well, then go and behave like that Samaritan. Go and behave like that person you most despise. And here's the trick. And and if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. Because remember, Jesus is talking to a religious scholar. He's talking to someone who already knew the answer to his own question. He knew what to do to experience eternal life. But Jesus isn't looking for more Bible scholars. He's looking for changed lives. He doesn't want people that just know it all. He wants people who will go and do what he says. He doesn't want you to just think different. He wants you to, in a very literal way, live different. He wants you to hear what he says and then go and do it. And he says, when you hear and when you go and do it, then you will experience eternal life. And so what he's saying is that when you, when you hear what I say and you go and do what I say, it's not just that you're going to make God happy and get on God's good side or check that box or, you know, win a trophy. No, it's like when you do this, this is for your good. 
It's for your good and for your Father's glory. But when you hear what I say and you do what I say, guess what? You're going to experience the best life ever. Jesus isn't looking for us to know more. He's looking for us to go and do what he says. And he's asking us to see people the way he sees them. Here's what I think is interesting. The the real story here isn't the story about the Good Samaritan. Have Have you ever thought about this? Like just back up from this story that we've been staring at for the last three weeks and think about the real story that's going on. What's the real story that's going on? Jesus Luke 9, 51, has set his face towards Jerusalem. He is on the way towards the cross. All right? On that journey, he stops to have a conversation with a religious scholar who's trying to tempt him, test him, and trick him, and put him on trial. Jesus has got a really important thing to go do. Save the world! And he stops to have a conversation with this guy that's annoying. (laughs) I know maybe you thought your job was important and you've got places to go and places to be. Jesus is on the way to save the universe and he stops to talk to this man who doesn't get it. He's a know-it-all that doesn't know anything at all. He knows the entire first five books. He knows the word of God. But what he has missed is that the person sitting in front of him is the person that those five books are talking all about. He doesn't get it. And Jesus isn't annoyed. Jesus isn't impatient. Jesus isn't hurt. Jesus stops and he pauses. And the good neighbor in this story isn't the Good Samaritan. Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor. Jesus traveled the farthest distance. It wasn't across the road. He came from heaven to earth to have a conversation with this guy and tell him, this is what I want you to do. This is what it's all about. I want you to love people the way I love people. I want you to see people the way I see people. I want you to, I want you to get this one thing, that this is what it's all about. Jesus, he, he's looking towards the cross, right? He's got his face set towards Jerusalem. And the cross is right here. It's, it's, it's right in front of him. That's where he's headed. And this man is right here. And he's looking right at him. But as he looks through him, what does he see? He sees the cross. And I really believe that what Jesus wants for you and me is to have our eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus. Have our eyes fixed on the crucified Jesus. And as we walk around with that set of lenses on, we see everybody that we see with a cross right behind them. And let me ask you this. If you're looking at the cross and you see people between you and the cross, what do you feel for them, no matter who they are? And you feel a deep sense of love. Because when we have our eyes set on the cross, as Jesus had his eyes set on the cross, and we see people that come between us and the cross, what we see is love. What we see is love. And the question is, how can we see people the way Jesus sees people? And what happens when we do? In a lot of churches and a lot of traditions of faith, there are people that pray this prayer every day. It's a written prayer that's been prayed for centuries. There's churches that pray this prayer that I want to share with you. It's called a prayer of confession, and it comes from Luke 10. And I want you to hear these words. This prayer says this, Let us confess our sins against God And our neighbor, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus the Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. I read that prayer again this week. It's it's one I read often. and, And I can't help but think that these words in Luke 10, these words where Jesus says, yeah, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe for us to see people the way Jesus sees people, we need to stop and first pray and repent and say, we have not. Just confess that. We have not, God. We have not. We have not loved you with our whole heart, with our whole mind, our whole strength, our whole soul. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not. And we humbly repent. We pray for your grace. And we pray that you would help us to see people the way that you see people. Jesus saw this religious scholar and he loved him. Jesus saw 12 men that he called to be his disciples that were rejects for other rabbi in town and he loved them. Jesus sees sinners and he, he invites them to dinner over and over again. In the Gospel of Luke especially, you see this happening over and over again. And the crazy thing is, is that Jesus, I mean, you know he loved sinners, but the crazy thing to me is that sinners loved Jesus, you know? They were intimidated by him. He was the son of God, the most holy person to ever walk the earth. They were intimidated by every other holy person, every other holy man, but not Jesus. Jesus loved them, and for some reason, they loved Jesus. He drew them in, and they often ate and, yeah, partied together. This is Jesus. Because Jesus sees people, and he sees the cross, and he loves them. This is what Jesus does. And I've been thinking all week, like, how... I feel like every time we read this passage, we think, how can we be more like the Good Samaritan? And that's a good question, but it's not the best question. Maybe the better question is, how can we be more like Jesus? That's a good question. If Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor, let's be more like him. And we talk about that a lot. How can we be more like Jesus? But I don't even think that's the right question. I think we should stop trying to be like the Good Samaritan. I know that sounds crazy to say. I think we should stop trying even, and this sounds really crazy, to be like Jesus. I think there's something better we should strive for. I think the better question may be, how can we just see? How can we see people the way Jesus sees people? So I want to read you one more quick story passage. Another friend of Jesus, his name was Matthew. Matthew was a sinner when Jesus found him, by the way. Matthew also wrote a story about Jesus, and at the end of that story, he tells a story that Jesus told. And I want to just read this story to you real quick. It's going to be on the screens from Matthew 25. You may know this if you don't. You can open up or look at it with me. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story. And think about the story in the context of seeing people the way Jesus sees people. He's talking about the last day, about the judgment, about the final day, when all is said and done. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man, when I come back in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit down upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place uh, the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Listen to this, verse 35. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me to come into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? It's like 
Like we would have done that, but we never saw you like that. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. Or naked and give you some, some clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, Jesus. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus says, stop trying to be me. You can't. You're going to fail. That's impossible. But try to see me in every person you see. Why? Well, let me ask you a question. What would you not do for Jesus? What would you not do for Jesus? I I, I would wager that even if you're in the room this morning and you don't claim to follow Jesus, that if he walked in the room, you would stand up and say, how can I help? What do you need? What can I get you, right? Everybody, even if they don't believe he's the son of God, thinks he was a holy man and an incredible teacher. I mean, we're talking about a story today that people in the world talk about that don't even know him. If he walked in the room today, especially those of us who claim to follow him and who have given our lives to seek him, what would we not do for this man? What would we not do for the Son of God? There's nothing we wouldn't do for Jesus. Jesus says, that's it. See me in every person. And whatever they need, do it. Because when you do, when you do it for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, when you do it for the least of these, you're doing, it, you're doing it for me. Whenever there's a fence between you and somebody else, and you take that fence down to go over and meet them on their side and to make things right, you're doing that for me. Whenever there's a separation or a deep divide or a division between you, and you tear down those fences and you tear down those walls, and you go and you seek to serve them, and seek to help them in their need. You're, you're not doing it for that person. You're doing it to me. Even that person that hurts you, even that person that annoys you, even that person that drives you crazy, even that person for which you have cause to not like, whenever you find a way to seek to serve them, you're not doing it to them. Like you thought that John and Sue lived next door to you, it's not. It's Jesus. You thought it was Bob and Mary across the street, it's not. It's Jesus. He's he's in every house around you. He's working next door to your office. He's sitting next to you in school. It's Jesus. And whenever you find a way to serve that person, whoever they are, Jesus says, I want you to see me because when you see me, oh, it changes everything. Because there's nothing I know. There's nothing you wouldn't do. So see me. See Jesus and others around you. Jesus says, when we see see Jesus in others, we're compelled to serve others in love. And that's the whole deal. When we start seeing Jesus in others, then we're just compelled out of love to serve them because we love Jesus. So this week, this is all I'm asking you to do, is to find a way to see Jesus in those around you and find a way to let the fences fall down. Because when those fences fall down and we begin to serve those around us in need, I truly believe we begin to make things next door a little bit more like the way they are in heaven. Church, if you would, let's let's stand. The question is, do fences make good neighbors? I went back and I read that poem by Robert Frost called Mending Wall this week. And I'm not sure I'd ever read the poem, to be honest with you. You know what what else Robert Frost said in that poem? Some of you do because you read poetry. Unlike me, apparently. 
He said this. He said, why, he said, why do they make good neighbors? And then he said this, in the same exact point. He said, something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. And I think Jesus felt the same way. Something there is that doesn't love a wall, that wants it down. The first fence went up at the entrance of the Garden of Eden after sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve sinned. They had to leave the garden. And when they did, God put two angels there with flaming swords at the entrance that created the first fence. And they were there because of sin. But then Jesus finished that journey to Jerusalem where he went to the cross. And if you know how the story ends, if you flip ahead in Luke and you read how the story ends, Luke says something incredible happened, that when Jesus was on the cross, breathing his last, dying a criminal's death, that when that happened, the world went dark. And it shouldn't have, but it did. And at that moment in the temple where the worship of God took place, there was this huge curtain that hung up at the entrance of the most holy place. It separated the presence of God from the people of God. Like this was where the presence of God literally, physically, tangibly was. And at that moment when Jesus died on the cross, God took down the fence that sin erected. And that curtain that was enormous was torn miraculously, mysteriously, from top to bottom when Jesus died. And the fence that sin erected, God tore down. Something there is that doesn't love a wall. And this morning, this is what I want to ask you. Is where are the fences that we need to take down? Who are the people that we need to love? And how can we see the cross and see the people around us through the lens of the cross so that we can love them Not the way some Samaritan loved some guy on the side of the road. How can we love them the way Jesus loves us? Because we are his sons and daughters, but we are not his only sons and daughters. And there are many that he wants to call home. And that he can. If we would just do what Jesus literally said and start loving our actual neighbors. And seeing them the way Jesus sees us. Let's sing.